1970, there was a landmark book published called The Real Majority. The Real Majority. The Real Majority talked about a person known as the Dayton housewife. The Dayton housewife. The Dayton housewife was a 47-year-old housewife living in Dayton, Ohio, whose husband is a machinist, has a blue-collar job. She lives in middle America, and she's concerned that uh, if the neighborhood deteriorates anymore, her family's not going to have enough money to move out to the suburbs. And she's really concerned that when her son grows up and goes to community college, he's going to find LSD and then get hooked on it and worried about that. The real majority. The real majority. Richard Nixon paid attention to that book and started campaigning toward the Dayton housewife. And he won the election. And since then, politics, uh, pollsters and pundits have tried to figure out who the next Dayton housewife is. And so that's why we hear phrases such as um, NASCAR dads or yuppies uh, or um, what's another one? Uh, soccer moms, security moms. Uh, I think this year it's waitress moms. All right? And the notion is, is you, you figure out who this likely voter is or this likely class, this likely sector is, and then you target that, and then that will get you the president you want. I mean, that's, if you've ever wondered, where, where did this phrase, soccer mom, who thought, all, it goes all the way back to this book in 1970 called The Real Majority. It's a fascinating book if you want to talk about strategy and, and, and you know, kind of getting the president that you want and everything. And I'm sure that you all came here today to hear me talk about that book, right? What does that have to do with anything, Randy? Well, it got me thinking that, all right, if, if that works in politics, maybe perhaps it might work in church business, you know? Let's figure out a particular, you know, I, I, I forget this unlikely convert. Let's go after the likely convert. Let's go after the person and let's figure out who that is the gospel for this particular class of person. Let's find out who that is. Let's go after that person and then, and then that'll, you know, that'll make us uh, big because big is success and church business is all about nickels and noses and, you know it's just uh, you know what I mean and then I thought well wait a minute before I go down that path maybe I ought to see if what God's word has to say about this right maybe 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 I ought to check that out and so I want to do that this morning if you have your Bibles I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 16 and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that, that, that really kind of helps us answer this question. Is there, a, is there a particular, is there a type of person who just is likely 
to just become a Christian? Is that, I mean, and so should we then go after that person? And, and, and I mean, have you ever not met people where you, you, you take a look at them and you talk with them and you, after your conversation, you think, well, they'd make a good Christian, right? They'd make a good Christian, you know? Or on the other hand, you talk with someone and think, they would never make a good Christian. I mean, whoo, it's not going to happen, right? I mean, see, that, this is what we're talking about here. This, and if it's that, and the person that I meet with or say that either likely or unlikely, it's not just that person. They represent a group, right? So it's, what's, the, what's the call on that? Well, I think, I think there are some verses that would help us answer that question. Is there a... Is there a likely? Is there someone that we ought to maybe go after and think about? And, and I want us to look at these verses because these verses tell us about Paul's second missionary journey. And, and Paul travels to this town, we'll learn a little bit about it later on, called Philippi. And in Philippi, we see three conversions. Now, Luke wrote, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he gives us three conversions. He could have given us any three, but he gives us these three. Because these three conversions help us answer this question about the likely or unlikely converts. And so I want, I want us to look at who these converts were. These were the charter members of the church at Philippi, one of the healthiest churches in all. When Paul writes the book of Philippians, it's not like he's writing to Corinth. <laughs> if you've read Corinth, that was a dis. They put Corinth put the fun back in dysfunctional, hugely dysfunctional church. But Philippi was not like that. Very healthy, very strong church. And I want us to meet three charter members of this church. Verse eleven. Are you ready? From Troas we put out to sea. So Luke is with them. We, right? First person plural. We put out to sea and sailed straight or, uh, for Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. There we go. Let's learn about Philippi. A Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Remember that phrase. I'll talk about it in just a little bit. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Charter member number one, this woman named Lydia. Now, what do we know about Lydia? Well, Let's get educated about her here for just a moment. Lydia, the Bible says, was, uh, well, she was an Asian living in Europe because she was from the city of Thyatira, which was in modern-day Turkey. We read about the city of Thyatira in the book of Revelation. It was one of the seven churches, and uh, it says here that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Thyatira was a great commercial hub 
there uh, in uh, that part of the world at that time. And uh, they manufactured high-end clothing. So when you read that she's a dealer in purple cloth, I want you to think of her as a, as a fashion executive for Neiman Marcus. And she had a high-end clientele, which means she was, she was kind of, you know, pretty wealthy. Notice she has a home, and she has servants. She has a household. I mean, she's not doing, she's not doing too bad at all. She's a woman living in a, da- a male-dominated uh, culture, and so she's got, uh, she's got business ties back in the hometown of Thyatira, which means she probably has a home there too. So we're talking about two pretty nice homes. She has a pretty nice life, pretty nice living. She's uh, got, you know, her bachelor's degree in fashion design. She knows how to run a business, so probably has, a, you know, the equivalent of our day of an MBA. And she's making a pretty good, she's making a pretty good living there, living uh, in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. A Roman colony. So a Roman colony was a piece of Rome on, on an, an, another part of the world. And, and so it was very patriotic, very Roman, very, very Roman. And, and so as a result, as a colony, there would be retired, maybe military uh, people. There would be folks who would, they would be very Roman, very tied in. There's, there's going to be money there, what I'm trying to say. And so here she's got the market. She's got the goods over here. She's got the market, and she's not doing too poorly. And yet here, notice, it says that she is at a place of prayer. They went outside the city gate to the river. That was about a mile and a half away. And they went to this place of prayer. Now, that is a Jewish phrase, place of prayer. Why a place of prayer? Why not a synagogue? Because back then in the ancient world, you had to have 10 Hebrew men to establish a synagogue. That's just the way it worked back then. And so obviously they didn't, so they had this place of prayer. And, and so she's learning. She, why, but why is she at this place of prayer? She's got the homes. She's got the job. She's got the education. She's got the income. What is she doing at a place of prayer? Why would she need to do that? Except that maybe it dawned on her that she has all of this stuff, but yet there's a hole in her heart. One of the church fathers years ago talked about the hole in your heart. You have a God-sized hole in your heart, and money can't fill that hole, and education can't fill that hole, and prominence can't fill that hole. It's a God-sized hole in your heart. And until God fills that hole in your heart, you can get the money and get the house and get the job and get the status, but still there's going to be a gaping hole in your heart. And are you smart enough to realize that that, you know, you pray that God will give you this, and then God gives you this, and you realize, wait a minute, that really doesn't satisfy me. Maybe there's something else. I think that's what's driving this incredibly wealthy Asian living in Europe to this place of prayer. And obviously, her pagan religious background is, is not filling the bill, so she meets at this place of prayer where she meets these other Hebrew women and learning about the one God of the Hebrew Bible. And so she's learning about Jerusalem, and she's learning about the temple, and she's learning about sacrifice, and she's learning a little bit about the prophets. And and then, and it was at that very place, church family, that the apostle Paul shows up. You see that? On the Sabbath. 
We sat down. We began to speak to the women who gathered there. Paul, Silas, Luke, the missionary, the traveling team there. And there was Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, a God-fearer. Again, that's another Jewish designation. She is seeking the God of the Old Testament, but she's not Jewish. She's very Gentile. And Paul says, listen, Lydia, this, 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 Jesus is every prophet, every priest, every king. Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus lived the life he should have lived and died the death he should have died. And as a result, Paul's saying, look, the Old Testament tells about the coming of a Messiah. And then Apostle Paul matches the descriptors of the Messiah with this amazing person who lived, Jesus of Nazareth. Talks about the cross. Lydia. Look, look it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, went down right down by the river, baptized her. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. She had her heart filled. Only Christ can fill that. And she realized that. And, and the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul brought her to the Lord, what? Through a Bible study, through a seminar. The Apostle Paul showed her the Lord. And that's how she came. He helped her connect the dots. You see, some people need that. They need someone to connect the dots. This leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And that's exactly what was going on here. She was a thinker, smart lady. And she realized there was something else that she needed, something else that Christ could provide. Years ago... Uh, I heard a guy by the name of Ken Blanchard. You know who Ken Blanchard is? He wrote this book, The One Minute Manager. Phenomenal success. Phenomenal success. In fact, the success of that book was what led Ken Blanchard on the path to eventually becoming a Christian. He, he came to the Lord as the result of this success. Now, I wish that all of us could do that. Wouldn't that be great, Right? But that's, that was Ken's story. And Ken said, this book is too successful because, I mean, it's, it's a good book, but it's not that good of a book. There must be a God. <laughs> and he found him. And his name's Jesus. And that's kind of like Lydia's story. But, but Ken needed someone to connect the dots. And so, you know, some people need that. Some people need C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Some people need uh, uh, Tim Keller's uh, 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 The Reason for God. Some people, that just connects with them. They, they, they need someone to help them connect, but they need a Bible study. Someone who will open the Word so that the Lord will open their heart to the Word. And that's exactly what happened to this fashion executive from Asia. Huh? Question. Is that how everybody comes to the Lord? No. No, no, of course not. No, it's me, charter member number two. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us 
shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved. Just stop right there for a minute. That's how she said it too. Okay. Are you all warm? Are you? Me too. Can somebody help fix that? Katie, Katie Pesson is somebody. She's going to fix that. Where was I? We were with this poor girl, this slave girl. This girl who, now Lydia was affluent economically, this poor girl was exploited economically. And some of your versions say that she, she, it says in the NIV that she had the spirit by which she predicted the future. Some of your translations say that she had a spirit of divination, right? Divination. Here's what it literally says. The New Testament comes to us in Greek. And, and it says here in literal, in the Greek it says she had the spirit of a python. What's that all about? Well, the temple of Apollo in Greece was guarded by a python. Okay, there you go. Yeah, we're talking about a cult here, all right? And, 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 uh, and so, and the word also, this is really interesting because here she's shouting, she's screaming, she's not she's shouting, she's screaming. These men are servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved. Now, notice I didn't move, move my lips, did I? Okay, now, now you see because the python was thought to reside in the, the stomach of who it possessed, and so, so the word also has the word of ventriloquist. See, a ventriloquist. See, back in the ancient world, a ventriloquist was not a comedian. <laughs> okay, the, a ventriloquist, you know, dabbled in the occult. All right, I kill you. You know that kind of a thing. It's just this really weird. Really strange thing. I'm not making this up. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not stalling until the air conditioning comes on. I'm telling you, this is what I learned this, this week here. And so here she's exploited. Probably her parents sold her to make ends meet to these, to these pimps who are now abusing her. Abusing her. And... and and notice she kept this up for many days. Verse 18, many days. So she's oppressed. And finally, Paul became so troubled, so troubled. Well, now, why would he become so troubled? Well, again, this is where we need to dig it a little bit. You see that phrase, most high God? Well, you know, I mean, she's endorsing. Yeah, but you need to understand the, the term most high God. Of course, it can refer to Jesus. But in the Old Testament, it also referred to Yahweh. It also... Satan also wanted to be called the Most High God. In Greek mythology, Zeus wanted to be called the Most High God. So who's she talking about, all right? And then interesting here, if you just, if you gotta, you gotta unlayer it a little bit to realize that, well, here's what the literal translation says. These men are servants of the Most, who are telling, this is literally from the Greek, who are telling you a way of salvation. A way. You see why this is, Paul doesn't need this kind of endorsement. He doesn't need a, a demon-possessed, pythonic 14-year-old girl following him around for days on end, screaming at the top of her you know, ventriloquist lungs 
that phrase. And so finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, look, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, I order you, come out of her. And look, at once, at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, here's the thing. Does she need a Bible study? Does she need a seminar? She needs a seminar. She needs to go to a Christian conference. That'll help her. No. She needs relief from her oppression. That's what she needs. She needs someone to come alongside her and and get her out of of that pit that she's in right now, you see. Now, church family... I I have an open but cautious view when it comes to demon possession. I've never seen it, uh, but I have an open but cautious view when it comes to that, all right? Uh, But you must know, you must know that uh, there are other kinds of oppression than demonic. There's economic oppression. There's economic exploitation, you see. And it is hard, it is very hard for someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ when they are starving. It is hard for someone to hear the good news about Jesus when they can't get clean water. It's hard. It's hard. And so that's why, that's why we're involved in our community with ministries such as Salt and Light. That's why. And that's why I want to just get you thinking about your calendar this year, this season, and, and Windsor Road Wednesdays. Just, you know, first Wednesday of the month. Show up at, what, 1230 at Salt and Light on Anthony Avenue. 15 minutes of training, and you can help distribute food and clothing. It'll be good for your soul, helping to relieve. The pro- that's why you need to talk to, to Laura and that, to Michelle about helping relieve difficult circumstances. Dwayne's going to come up here in just a little bit and talk about the project that happened in the Dominican Republic this past week through Compassion uh, International. We're helping to relieve through clean water, you see? That's what's going on here. And when we serve the poor and when we serve the needy, church family, the mark of the presence of Christ in the world today is when we help the poor. And we, so we help those. We help those who are unbelievers because that's the mark of the presence of Christ to them. And we help those who are believers because Galatians chapter 6 says, let us do good to all people, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, so they don't need a Bible study. They need a meal. They need someone to come alongside. They need someone who will not only feed them, but someone who will help them how to manage their resources. That's why Scott Altoff over at uh, Salt and Light, Lord's brother-in-law, is, is working with Financial Peace University to help train folks. Here's how to manage your resources. You see? You see what's going on here? You've got Lydia, who is affluent economically. You've got this slave girl who is oppressed economically, but here's the deal. Look, verse Uh, 19 says, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Paul could exercise the pythonic spirit from this girl, but he could not exercise the spirit of greed from her pimps. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. And are throwing our city into an uproar. Remember, it's a, it's a Roman place. So that's a racial charge you were reading there. 
by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And then there was a mob that formed. Look at verse 22. They joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged and they were thrown into prison, the commander, uh, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, those of you who have studied the life of Paul, you know that he was a Roman citizen, right? And uh, so you may be wondering, well, why doesn't he show them his birth certificate right there? Because that, what they did was blatantly, they violated his rights. Hold on to that question right now. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Okay? Great. It's, just, it's, it's incredible what the Apostle Paul does. But here is where we meet charter member number three. So we meet Lydia, we meet the slave girl, and now we meet charter member number three, who's a jailer. He was probably, in all likelihood, a retired Roman centurion. This guy was, he's a blue-collar brother. He's on his pension, and, and he's just, he's doing his job. He does his duty. He's a man of the code. He's a man's man. He's not spiritually seeking. He's not looking for God. He's just doing his job, and he did what they told uh, uh, him to do, throwing Paul in, severely flogging him, putting them in the inner cell. Now, please, I mean, we have no... I mean, the, the, the prisons that we have today in our country, it's the, it's the Hyatt compared to the way prisons, really comparatively, in the first century. We're talking about stinking, dungy, smelly, no electricity, pitch black, dark when the sun goes down. There's nothing. And we're also talking about Paul and Silas says put in stocks. Now, we're not talking about the kind of stocks that existed in colonial days with the pilgrims and all that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about parking these guys down and splitting their legs apart till it is torturous and then shackling those legs, not just to keep them secure, but to torture them. And we're also talking not about solitary confinement, but they are just kind of lumped in together with, with it's just it's a cesspool of prisoners there. Bleeding, mushy back from the beating. We're talking just tortured. And yet the jailer, get this, the jailer heard the first Christian concert in Europe. Huh? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, folks, when God acts, the roles reverse very quickly. Look, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once. All of the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. He saw there was a disaster in the making. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, why did he do that? Because he was a soldier. He was a man of the code. And back then, if the prisoners escaped, the warden, the jailer, paid for it with his own life. And at, at that point, I mean, he comes in, you know, he realizes what's going on. He calls for the lights because it had been pitch black. And Paul says, just as he's about, just stands about to end himself, don't harm yourself, we're all here. This guy'd never seen that before in his life. He'd never seen this kind of, well, he will soon find out to be Christ-driven, cross-bearing integrity. Where here, tortured men, tortured men, are singing praises to God. And furthermore, 
at the opportunity to escape? They don't. And the Apostle Paul exercises leadership not only over himself and Silas, but for everybody else in the prison. This, he's never seen such an amazing man, you see. All he's known is, is the code. And if he doesn't live up to it, then he forfeits his life. So it's interesting. Here's Lydia. She gets what she wants, and when she gets it, she's not satisfied. She's seeking after God. Here's this guy who fails that which is supreme to him, and he realizes he needs to take his life. And Paul says, don't do that. Verse 24 says, he calls for the lights, rushes in, fell trembling. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He sees something extraordinary. And Paul, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And scripture says they spoke the word of the Lord to him. See, now the roles were reversed. First, Paul and Silas' life were in this guy's hands. Now it's the other way around. And Paul preaches Jesus to him. And at, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Two washings occurred. The jailer's wounds were washed and then the jailer turned her, uh, 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 excuse me, Paul's wounds were washed, and then Paul turns around and washes the jailer and his family in baptism. And the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before him, and now he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. Wow. Huh? Now let's go back to my original question here. Who's the gospel for? My goodness, what? What do we see here? We see Lydia, who lives over at the Trail of Brittany, and she has breakfast. She has a power breakfast every morning at the original House of Pancakes. And then at lunch, she goes over to Jim Gould's. And then at dinner, she eats at Cofusion. Right? She's an MBA. She's a fashion executive. She's a very highly successful businesswoman. All right? Really, she's just incredible. Then you have this 14-year-old servant girl, okay, who's homeless, basically. And she, she eats, uh, uh, she eats a day-old, uh, half of a day-old Whopper from her owners. That's it. And then you have the Roman jailer, this guy who's a man's man. And, uh, you know, every night, you know, after work, you know, he has a beer over at the Cowboy Monkey. I mean, that's where he's coming from. He's a blue-collar brother, all right? You see what I'm saying? You've got Lydia who came to Christ through this Bible study, this connect the dots. You have this servant girl who, was, who, who came to Christ through being relieved from her suffering. And then here you have this, this Roman centurion. He doesn't need a Bible study. You know what he needs? He needs to see Christ in the flesh. Listen, some, you are the only Bible that some folks at your work are going are to read. Your life is the, They need to see Christian integrity in your life. And here you have these three who came to the Lord. It's an amazing way. They come from different circumstances. Do you see what I'm saying? There is no one type. The gospel is for rich, poor, macho, wimps. And it's, listen, it is so important that we remember this. And not just this year, but every year. Because, you know, we have visitors who come in and they want to know, is this church a red state church or a blue state church? Hey, listen to me. Whenever we cozy up to the government, it's always good for the government, but bad for the church. Okay? And now we get to the reason why. Now we get to the reason why that the Apostle Paul didn't show his birth certificate. See, 
See, if the Apostle Paul had shown his birth certificate before, boy, he wouldn't have converted. The jailer wouldn't have been converted. I can tell you that right now. He wouldn't have. But, but I'll tell you this, too. See, Paul wanted this fledgling church, this young church, to realize that if he'd have shown his Roman birth certificate, then this ever-so-subtle message would have been conveyed, and it would have been this, that if you, it is better to be a Christian and a Roman citizen than just to be a Christian. That that's would have been the stuff. You'll be, you'll be accepted more if you're a Christian and a Roman citizen than if you're just a Christian. And, and listen, church family, I, I hope that no one would ever come through these doors and think that you're going to be accepted more if you're a Christian and a Republican than if you're just a Christian. Or, if you're, or you'll be accepted more if you're a Christian and a Democrat than just a Christian. Whenever we cozy up to the government, it's always good for the government, but it's not good for the church. It's not. Now, but here's the, here's the neat thing about it. Paul gave himself sacrificially. and Here's what happened the next day. When it was daylight the next morning, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And the jailer told Paul, you guys can leave now. You know, the magistrate ordered your release. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, he said to, he said to the deputies, he said to Andy and Barney, he said, now he shows his birth certificate. <laughs> now he shows his birth certificate. Those men beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, see? <laughs> and they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. You let them come themselves, and they can escort us out. Oh, that was great. <laughs> and the, the magistrates, when they found out about it, they were alarmed. Why? Because they could have been, been the ones beaten for doing that. They violated Paul's and Silas's rights. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison. And Luke says, well, look, we think it would just be better if you guys would just leave the city. And you know what Paul said? He said, no. No, not going to, because I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> and then they went to Lydia's house. You see that? <laughs> and then after they met with them and encouraged them, they said, okay, we're going to go now. You know, we're not going to go when you tell us to go. We're going to go when we want to go, because we're Roman citizens. <laughs> That's what they did. Okay, Really? Oh, man. Isn't it great? Huh? That'll preach. Listen. Listen. Who's the gospel for? The God, this is what I want you to get. This is the big idea. This is the take home. The gospel is the greatest power in the world to gather the greatest number together to serve the greatest God ever. Do you believe that? That's what we're talking about here. That the gospel is for the, the Lydia's the gospel is for the, the, the slave girls. The gospel is for the Roman jailers. And this church needs to be the kind of church that says, Lydia, we want you to come. And thank you for the hospitality that you show to this church. It's probably where they started meeting. You think they had their own facility? No. Where are they going to meet? Let's meet at Lydia's place. Thank you, Lydia. And then they need this servant girl. They need her. Because who's going to parent her? Who's going to bring her up in the faith, huh? And then they need this jailer. So, and here's the interesting thing. Paul, Paul was, a, Paul was a dead white Jewish male. That's what he was. And so 2,000 years ago, this was the prayer that a Hebrew man would pray. He'd wake up in the morning. He said, Lord, I thank you that I, that, that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. 
And guess who's in that church? Gentiles, slaves, women. Oh, man. The gospel. The gospel's the greatest power in the world to gather the greatest number together to serve the greatest God ever. And Paul believed that so much that he was willing to forego his Roman citizenship to exercise those rights because, because of one who exercised his rights in coming from heaven to earth. And he surrendered his life. And that's why we have communion. The greatest power, together the greatest number, to serve the greatest God ever, the most high God, his name is Jesus. Let's pray and then we're going to move into communion.